Good morning. This morning I'm reading from Genesis chapter 41, verses 1 to 16 and 25 to 40. So if I call for help, somebody bring up some oxygen. Two full years later, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing on the bank of the Nile River. In his dream, he saw seven fat, healthy cows come out of the river and begin grazing in the marsh marsh grass. Then he saw seven more cows come up behind them from the Nile, but these were scrawny and thin. These cows stood beside the fat cows on the riverbank. Then the scrawny, thin cows ate the seven healthy fat cows. At this point in the dream, Pharaoh woke up. But he fell asleep again and had a second dream. This time he saw seven heads of grain, plump and beautiful, growing on a single stalk. Then seven more heads of grain appeared, but these were shriveled and withered by the east wind. And these thin heads swallowed up the seven plump, well-formed heads. Then Pharaoh woke up again and realized it was a dream. The next morning, Pharaoh was very disturbed by the dream, so he called for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. When Pharaoh told them of his dreams, not one of them could tell him what they meant. Finally, the king's chief cupbearer spoke up. Today I have been reminded of my failure, he told Pharaoh. Some time ago you were angry with the chief baker and me, and you imprisoned us in the palace of the captain of the guard. One night the chief baker and I each had a dream, and each dream had its own meaning. There was a young Hebrew man with us in the prison who was a slave of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he told us what each of our dreams meant. And everything happened just as he had predicted. I was restored to my position as cupbearer, and the chief baker was executed and impaled on a pole. Pharaoh sent for Joseph at once, and he was quickly brought from the prison. After he shaved and changed his clothes, he went in and stood before Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream last night, and no one here can tell me what it means. But I have heard that when you hear about a dream, you can interpret it. It is beyond my power to do this, Joseph replied, but God can tell you what it means and set you at ease. Joseph responded, Both of the Pharaoh's dreams mean the same thing. God is telling Pharaoh in advance what he's about to do. The seven healthy cows and the seven healthy heads of grain both represent seven years of prosperity. The seven thin, scrawny cows that came up later and the seven thin heads of grain Withered by the east wind represents seven years of famine. This will happen just as I have described it, for God has revealed to Pharaoh in advance what he's about to do. The next seven years will be a period of great prosperity throughout the land of Egypt, but afterward there will be seven years of famine so great that all the prosperity will be forgotten in Egypt. Famine will destroy the land. This famine will be so severe that even the memory of the good years will be erased. As for having two similar dreams, it means that these events have been decreed by God, and he will soon make them happy. Therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years, have them gather all the food produced in the good years that are just ahead, and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away. 
and guard it so there will be food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. Joseph's suggestions were well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, Can we find anyone else like this man so obviously filled with the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has revealed the meaning of the dreams to you, clearly no one else is as intelligent or wise as you are. You will be in charge of my court, and all my people will take orders from you. Only I, sitting on my throne, will have a rank higher than yours. Thank God for his word. Thank you, Barry. You made it. You didn't even need an oxygen tank. That's wonderful. It's so good to hear the Word of God read out loud. And uh, for those of you with young kids, I just encourage you in your own homes, take time around the dinner table before bed to immerse your children in the Word of God. Just the simplicity of reading the stories um, of Scripture. Just, it's very, very powerful. And uh, you can't underestimate the seeds that you're sowing in those moments. Um, so the last few weeks, we've been talking about Joseph's unexpected journeys. We've talked about the story of this guy who uh, was the favorite in his household, who ends up betrayed by his brothers, thrown in a pit, pulled out of the pit, thrown into s- slavery, uh, finds himself able to kind of wrestle to the top of the rungs within his master's house, only to be falsely accused and thrown into prison. Where again, we read about um, Joseph working hard and, and doing well in prison, bringing himself up the ladder, only to be forgotten by the men that he helps, and again, sitting in prison. Over and over again on these unexpected journeys, we might call them. Things not working out the way that Joseph thought they would. Well, today I want to talk about how Joseph has handled himself in the midst of these situations. And I want to look specifically this morning at how Joseph handles himself in this pivotal moment in our story. When I think back on my own life, I can see that I've often allowed myself to be a victim of the if-only-then problem. You know what I'm talking about when I say this? I, I can think of, if, if only I didn't have this limitation... If only I didn't have this problem, if only I wasn't in the midst of this circumstance, then I would be able to do this, that, or the other thing. If only I didn't have all this going on in my life, then I could do better. Then I could be better. As a kid, it burned a hole in my pocket, because I I would think that, well, if only I had these five-cent candies, then I will be happy. (laughs) And so I'd constantly purchase these types of things. When I was a young student in school, I would try to convince my parents during back-to-school shopping that if only I had the right school supplies, then I would succeed in the classroom. That wasn't true. As a young soccer player, I thought if only I had the right goalie gloves, then I would be a great goalie. That also wasn't true. As a guitar player, I thought, if only I had the nicest guitar, 
the best amplifier, the best guitar pedals, then I'll be a great guitar player. That's also not true. It doesn't, a great guitar doesn't make a great guitar player. Uh, and I got to college, and it turned into, well, if only I had all the right books, then I will again succeed in the classroom. And being someone who might want to bring good things into the world, who wants to affect change for good, I might think, well, if only I made more money. If only I had more responsibility. If only I was the boss. Then I'd be able to make good things happen. Then I'd be able to really help people. Or maybe it's in relationships. I'd think to myself, man, if only this person would treat me better. If only this person would show me that they cared. If only they, this, that, or the other thing. Then this relationship would be better. Then I'd be more helpful. Then I'd be more kind. Then I'd be forgiving. Even in my own faith journey, I think about being close to God. If only I had more time. If only I took more opportunities then I would be close to God. What about something like sharing Jesus with others? If only I had the right training. If only I knew theology better. If only I knew apologetics and could reason with people. Then I could share Jesus with them. But you see, my focus on my limitations have often kept me from doing what I no needed to be done. My focus on my limitations, they've often kept me from working good. How about you? How do you fall into this, if only this, then that mentality? In your relationships with those who are close to you, perhaps in your marriage, with your children, in the context of your career, looking around the office place and, and thinking, well, I could work better, I could do this, that, or the other thing, but, you know, for all these reasons. What about as a member of a church? You think about your participation week to week. There's so many ways that we fall into this if-only-then mentality. As we've looked at Joseph's story over the last several weeks, we could rightly say that Joseph could point to several limitations that would have kept him from working good. Joseph could have looked at his family problems. He could have said, man, I am a victim of great injustice. Joseph could point to the fact that he was moved from a pit, a literal pit in the ground, to a prison. If anyone could point to limitations which would keep them from being better or doing better, I think it's Joseph. But what did Joseph do? What did Joseph do in the midst of all these limitations? Our sermon series, we're titling, Found Faithful. Because that's exactly what we see in Joseph. Someone who is faithful in the midst of these incredibly difficult circumstances. Joseph demonstrated faithfulness. In each one of these situations. When he found himself in Potiphar's house, he demonstrated faithfulness. When he was in prison, he demonstrated faithfulness. And as we will see today, when he was in the palace before Pharaoh, 
he demonstrated faithfulness. But let's recap the story really quickly. The beginning of our chapter starts off by referencing two years. Well, what is that two years? Well, it's two years of Joseph being forgotten yet again. Last week, Pastor Ken covered the the account here where Joseph is in prison. And we see him helping the other prisoners. And in chapter 40, verse 14, Joseph pleads with them. And he says, I'm going to help you, but please remember me when things go well for you. Please remember me. Chapter 40 ends, yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. So Joseph has gone from a position of, of maybe thinking that his situation might change to two years going by where things have probably continued on much as they had before. He's forgotten again. Pharaoh, one night he's sleeping. He has these dreams. He's woken up and and is distraught by these dreams. He doesn't know what to do about these dreams. So he goes and he consults all the wise men of Egypt. But none of them are able to help him. In that moment, Joseph is remembered. Finally, this cupbearer goes, oh yeah. I know a guy who can help with dreams. Joseph is then called to the palace to interpret the dreams. And so he does. And Joseph offers his counsel to Pharaoh. And then in a matter of verses, we see Joseph appointed to this position of affluence. And we think back on the last several sermons and we think all of the waiting, all of the rejection... It seems to be resolved in only a few verses. God, who is working behind the scenes the whole time, redeems Joseph from the pit. He redeems him from the prison. And though we as readers read that Pharaoh brings Joseph out of the pit, we know the end of the story and we know that it is God who's pulling Joseph out of this pit. And in the midst of all of this, Joseph was faithful to work good. He was faithful to work good. So I want to explore for us this morning how Joseph used his influence in this situation and and hopefully take from him and his example something that can help us in our lives and in our journeys. Because Joseph did not allow his circumstances to hold him in an if-then mentality. And I think about each one of us here this morning. Each one of us are people who have influence. There's places that we find ourselves on any given day where we have the ability to influence those around us. Some of us maybe are leaders in our workplace and our influence is a little more obvious. But others maybe it's just our co-workers, people we rub shoulders with on a day-to-day basis. Each of us have opportunities to make a difference in the places that we find ourselves. So how do we operate in the midst of these contexts. The first thing I think we see in this story is that Joseph maintained a positive attitude. Joseph maintained a positive attitude. He didn't give up because of his circumstances. Joseph didn't live in the, I'm just a prisoner. I'm just a victim mentality. But imagine if Joseph did. Imagine these men coming to Joseph and saying, hey, Joseph... The Pharaoh had a dream. 
He's really distraught. He's wondering if you could come to the palace and interpret his dream. Could you imagine if if Joseph would have said to them, Sorry guys, I don't do that anymore. It hasn't gone well for me in the past when I've interpreted dreams. (laughs) So no, I'm I'm not coming to the Pharaoh. Could you imagine? This would be a very different story. Joseph didn't respond here saying, Well, if only I was loved... If only I wasn't forgotten. If only I wasn't a prisoner. No. Why is this? Why is it that Joseph could maintain this positive attitude throughout all of this? Well, we can only speculate because we don't have the journals of Joseph or the prayers of Joseph or anything like that. But I believe that Joseph never lost hope. He never lost hope. Joseph would have grown up hearing the stories from his father about the promises of God. The promises of God given to his his grandfather. He would have heard the stories of the way that God had shown up for his father. And And I believe that he, in the midst of that, had this sense of hope. He remembered the promise spoken to his grandfather that God guaranteed that he was going to bless them. And maybe Joseph sat in the prison thinking, well, I don't feel very blessed right now. But God promised. So I'm going to wait. I'm going to keep hoping. But not only did Joseph have these stories and these promises to his family, but Joseph also had these dreams. Do you remember the beginning of Joseph's story? He has two dreams. The first dream is is about... This wheat bowing down to his wheat. (laughs) It's kind of weird. And then he had another dream where we have the stars gathering around and, and they're bowing down to him. And he has these two dreams. And if we cross reference these two dreams to what Joseph says here in verse 32 in, in the chapter we find ourselves in today, Joseph talks to Pharaoh about his two dreams. He says the reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God. And God will do it soon. Well, who else had two dreams? Joseph had two dreams. And I wonder if Joseph, in having these dreams, thought about them. And and both of these dreams that he had, both the wheat as well as the stars, they were dreams that showed him being in a position of influence and in a position of power. And having two dreams, I wonder if Joseph said, okay, this is a sure thing. God is going to do this. I just need to be faithful to him. And when he found himself in, in Potiphar's house, I wonder if he thought to himself, is this the place? Is this where I'm going to have influence? Because if so, I'm going to work as hard as I can. And then when that didn't work out and he finds himself in prison, I wonder if he remembered these dreams And thought to himself, is this the place where I'm supposed to have influence? Is this the place that God has called me to lead? If so, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to work hard. And in the midst of these situations, we can see how David, how Joseph could hold firmly to the fact that God was going to do something. He need only be faithful. He need only be faithful. 
Joseph maintained hope. Maintained hope. In our own places of influence, in our homes, our workplaces, our social circles, it's so easy for us to be frustrated with all that's going around going on around us. And the temptation in the midst of it all is to live as a victim of our circumstances. But friends, in Jesus, we are more than our circumstances. In Jesus, we have an identity as children of God. In Jesus, we have a profound hope. Because of Jesus, because of who He is, the work that He accomplished here on earth, we can trust in a God who sees us in the midst of our circumstances, and can work good in the midst of incredible, difficult situations. But how easy it is for us to forget these realities. How easy it is to forget that Jesus has done a great work for us. That He's given us hope. A former employer of mine, when I was framing houses in Calgary, uh, he would often comment to me about how toxic negative comments were on a job site. And he grew up working on construction sites and he had managed several construction sites. And he would tell me that, you know, it only takes one person. You have one person who complains about the working conditions and suddenly everyone else is complaining about the working conditions. You have one guy whose head's hanging low and he's frustrated and he's throwing his tools and suddenly the whole job site seems to be affected with that same negativity, that same frustration. And I think about that. And I think of how much that actually takes place in my own life. Where one thought taken off God, one frustration that I allow to fester, one little bit of unforgiveness, one complaint suddenly gives way to another, to another, to another. And suddenly I forget who I am in Christ. Suddenly I forget about a God who sits on a throne, who sees me in the midst of my situation. Suddenly I have a bad attitude. Suddenly I don't see those around me. I don't see the ways that I might be able to affect my environment for good. Now to say this isn't to minimize the difficulty of any, of any life season or specific situation. I'm not telling you that if you're in the midst of a difficult situation just to, you know, lift your head up and be happy. <laughs> That's not the message we hear here in, in the passage. The invitation we have in Joseph's story is for us to remember God in the midst of our difficult situations. And to not allow our lives to be defined and hijacked by our troubles rather than have our lives defined by who God says that we are. So first we see Joseph maintaining this positive attitude. Second, we watch Joseph work within his ability. Joseph works within his ability. Joseph did, in this context, what he was equipped to do. Verse 40, chapter 41, verse 16 reads, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God will give Pharaoh the answers he desires. Joseph had used his gift of interpreting dreams before. He understood it. He understood his role in interpreting dreams. He knew that he need only listen to God and pass on the message. He was equipped for this daunting task. Now could you imagine this situation? 
a prisoner brought before the Pharaoh. And they say, okay, prisoner, we want you to interpret his dream. Imagine the pressure. Because who knows what Pharaoh would have done if he didn't like what Joseph had said. You know, Joseph's telling him there's going to be seven years of famine. What if Pharaoh looked at Joseph and said, no, I I don't like that. (laughs) You know, back to prison with you. That's not what Joseph, that's not what happened. And in the midst of the situation, you think about that daunting task. I wonder if Joseph felt the temptation to give Pharaoh just an incredibly positive interpretation, to put on a show for him. But Joseph didn't do that. Rather, he did what he always did. He did what he was equipped to do. And he interpreted the dream. Not only that, but Joseph didn't bargain with Pharaoh. He didn't tell Pharaoh, you know what, Pharaoh, I can give you what you want. But only if you let me out of prison. Only if you send me back to my father. Only if you make my situation better. Joseph didn't bargain with Pharaoh in this situation. He just did what he was equipped to do. Not only that, but Joseph didn't withhold what he could do because of not wanting to see Pharaoh succeed. Joseph was a Hebrew. Joseph was in prison in Pharaoh's house. That'd be a pretty frustrating situation. And now this person, who you could maybe argue allowed Joseph to sit there, is asking Joseph for a favor. Joseph didn't let any of this get in the way of him working his absolute best for Pharaoh. This reminds me of something that Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, a familiar passage. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Man, Joseph got this. He understood this. When I spoke at camp a few years ago, I... On the way there, I stopped at Walmart and I bought a few tubs of candy. And what I would do is, as I was teaching, I would ask the kids questions. And the kids knew that if they answered my question, they'd get candy. And so I'd say something like, I got a question. And all of their hands would go up. (laughs) I'm like, you guys don't even know what the question is. Uh, And then they'd put their hands down. And then I'd ask the question and all these kids would put their hands up. And I'd ask a kid and he'd have no idea at all. Like, um, I don't know. And, um, and so I wouldn't give them candy. And my wife said I was actually really kind of mean to them by not giving them candy in those moments. But, uh, um, but it was funny when I think about that. These campers needed incentive to listen to me speak. Now, maybe I was a really bad speaker. I wasn't very interesting for them. Um, but they needed that thing that, to keep them listening to me. And I think about that. And I think about that in my own life. How often do I require incentive before I do something good? How often do I require someone to give me something in exchange for me helping out? Joseph wasn't like this. He didn't need candy or some sort of incentive. Rather, he served faithfully within his abilities. The temptation we face is to withhold our abilities. Again, maybe it's in spite of That employer that really drives you crazy, that supervisor you wish wasn't working over you. You don't want to give them your best because you don't think they deserve it. But maybe because we don't think we have much, maybe it's because we don't think we have much to offer. So we'd rather not even try. 
When we think of opportunities where we could work good, some of us might feel ill-equipped. We see tasks that are too big, problems that don't, we don't feel we can solve. And very quickly we fall back into the if-only-then problem. But you need to ask yourself, how are you equipped? What are your giftings? What are your talents? Because sure, there is a lot that we cannot do. But we need to ask ourselves, what can we do? Each of us, again, have areas of influence. And in the midst of those areas of influence, each of us have abilities. Each of us have resources at our disposal. Some of us might only have time. But each of these things we can offer to those around us. To see the situation, to see that environment that we find ourselves bettered. And when we do that work, we're not working for those in that context directly. We're working for God. And like Joseph, we need to give wholeheartedly. Even if giving isn't going to profit us one bit. So first we see that Joseph maintained a positive attitude. Second, we see that Joseph worked within his ability. And I think the third thing we see in this text is that Joseph chose to be active. He chose to be active. Joseph didn't choose passivity in this situation. He didn't interpret the dream, which was the thing he was asked to do, and then just walk away. Rather, he offered wisdom that sought to see the best possible outcome for the situation he was looking at. We read in verse 33, um, Joseph's response to this interpretation of the dream. He says, Now therefore... Based on this interpretation, based on what I'm telling you, Pharaoh, these are the things I think you should do. And he goes on and explains to Pharaoh the things that he thinks he should do. And there's, again, no indication in the text that Joseph thought that he would be one, be the one to be appointed. He offered this and, and may still have remained in prison. He gave all this advice to Pharaoh, and for all he knew, he was headed back to his prison cell. Joseph applied his ability, he applied his wisdom to the situation, and offered to Pharaoh a potential solution to the problem. And you look at this situation, Joseph spoke up without even being asked. And friends, I think of his example, and I look at my own life. And when we think of opportunities to work good, I think the temptation is to give in to the feeling that there's no use in trying to work good. There's no use in speaking up. There's no use in going out of our way. And when I, look at Pharaoh, when I look at Joseph in this situation, we see one who didn't allow himself to think that way. Rather, he's like, no, I, I think we can do better here. I think we could make this good. Perhaps the problem for some of us is that in a day and age with so much information where we hear so much about all the issues in the world, the good that we may be able to work feels just like a drop in the ocean. When we see all the problems, it's easy to feel that we are insignificant. So why even bother? But think of Joseph. He's a slave. A prisoner. He's just a guy with a couple of dreams. But in the midst of that, he shows up. He does his best. And God does some amazing things through him. 
Opportunity to work good can often be overshadowed by our difficult circumstances in our lives. But we need not let that keep us from seeing opportunities that we can have to work good for other people. For some of us, our if only is feeling so overwhelmed by all we feel needs to be done that we don't do anything. And I've found myself in that situation more than once where I look back in reflection over a season and I see the ways that I've just allowed myself to be a victim of my circumstances. To see the ways that I've allowed my attitude to be terrible. To see the ways that I've withheld my abilities and my talents. And to see the many ways that I've chosen not to be active, not to help those around me. But friends, I want to encourage you If you find yourself in that difficult situation, we need to begin engaging in those areas to work good simply by asking God. You know, it's the simple prayer of, Lord, I I see all that's going on in my areas of influence. I, I see these people at my workplace that I don't really like. God, I'm working this job that's really frustrating me. But Lord, help me to be someone who works good. And I believe that when we pray and ask God to help us in this, we're going to start seeing opportunities pop up all around us. Second, I want you to consider how God has made you. So not only are there all these opportunities, sometimes we don't know how to engage. um, But when we're feeling like we don't know how to engage, we need to consider, how has God made me? How has He wired me? What is it that God's made me passionate about? Uh, This amazing quote by Frederick Buechner uh, reads, The place that God calls you, the place that God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. I love this quote. And you think about it, it's like the place that God desires you to work good (laughs) is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. What gives you passion? What fills you with joy? And it's looking at those things and saying, how can I use this joy in my life to help others? And then you go find those places where there's those needs. You go find places where you have an opportunity to work good and you engage in the ways that God has gifted you. By doing good, Joseph participated in the destiny of his family to be a blessing to the nations. And it's amazing, the story of Joseph, the way that it sits in in Genesis. And and when we read this part of the story, and we read what we're about to see happen, Joseph's faithfulness to do good in this moment ends up resulting in him helping his family, ends up being a fulfillment of the prophecy and the promise that God gave to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. And I believe that we too, as we intentionally engage in doing good in the name of Jesus, that we participate in the kingdom of God being established in our places of influence. As we work with excellence to see good happen in our places of influence, when we do that in the name of Jesus, we get to be participants in God's kingdom being established here on earth, which is an amazing, amazing thing. That God's kingdom goes beyond our four walls here at at Terwilliger Community Church. 
And that when we work with all of our hearts in our workplaces, when we serve our children in our homes with all of our hearts, when we love our spouses with all of our hearts, that we're doing that as if working unto God and bringing glimpses of His kingdom here on earth. In conclusion, a question for us this morning is how may we be allowing our circumstances to keep us from faithfulness? Perhaps it's in our choices that we choose what we know God is we choose what we know God has said is right over what we know is wrong. Is our character slipping? Or maybe it's in our convictions where we see opportunities to do good and we just choose not to. Whatever it is, we need to consider this. And we need to be reminded of Joseph's story. And we need to lean into God and ask Him for help that we can be people who maintain a good attitude, who work with our whole hearts using the abilities God's given us and actively engage and participate in working good. Because as we saw when Joseph was in Potiphar's house, as we saw when he was in prison, and now as we see as he's in the palace, Joseph is demonstrating exemplary character and is demonstrating for us what a life of faithful to God's plan looks like. So I hope we can learn from that this morning. I'm going to invite the worship team forward as we pray together and close. Father God, we thank you for Joseph's story. And Lord, we thank you for the many ways we read his story and see how your hand is upon him. Lord, I thank you for the many ways that we see your hand. Lord, we get confused watching as Joseph ends up in this situation. But then as the story goes on, we see you pull him out of that prison. And God, we thank you for the faithfulness that he demonstrates for us. And Lord, I pray that we would learn from that this morning. That we would be a congregation that doesn't shy away from opportunities to work good. Lord, I pray that this congregation would be known for being people who see opportunities to help others and takes it. Lord, this congregation, that it would be known for being generous. That this congregation would be known for extending love for doing the right thing, for for being people who work good. And Lord, as we do those things, we pray that others would see that image of Jesus in us. So Father, I pray that you would just bless us by your Holy Spirit with the power that we need to serve in this way, to walk in this way. In Jesus' name, to your glory. Amen.